Better imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Gigantic middle finger to everything that is rocking about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shot and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. like a science thing right indeed 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 it is it is a science thing it is a science place it's a scientific fact they were all up in your face it is time once again for the one uh, the only protonic reversal welcome to it welcome to it welcome to it episode 262 262 kira rosler the the incredible kira from black flag from dose uh academy award winner emmy award winning i'm really excited for this this should be great um and i'm not gonna dilly dally uh so just let me let me read this spiel that i am not spiel ha <laughs> that's a wadism isn't it oh that's so funny yeah. uh i'm gonna read this spiel that i've been forgetting to do in the last few episodes so i'll keep it brief if this is your first time listening to the show, or even if it isn't, Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal is a long-running podcast about music and musicians. This is episode 262. If this is your first time listening to the show, all of the archives are at ProtonicReversal.com and are always free. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you'd like to support the show or get episodes sooner, you can give $1 a month to Patreon.com slash ProtonicReversal. And if you like the show or even just a single episode, please feel free to share it along. Like, subscribe, or post a review. All that helps people find the show, and it's just a darn nice thing to do. Okay. So we got all that done. Uh, If you are new to the show, previous episodes, I actually have had Mike Watt on. Uh, Keith Morris, if you're interested in the Black Flag world. Greg Norton, not that long ago. Anyway, but tonight is Kira. It's Kira. So excited. So excited for this to hear about her upcoming new solo album, Dose Black Flag. Little band called Black Flag. You heard of them? Anyway, let's dive right into it. Kira, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I was thinking about it, and I've had some... Uh, I had, I've had a couple grammy winners on but i don't think i've had any emmy winners on now now that that i think about it uh that was such a cool moment when that happened like i kind of felt like to me that was like a win for like the punk rock world and like also the punk rock world where you do other things other than punk rock Uh, can you speak a little to that like how like did you know obviously you're nominated you're you're aware of it but you know you you, you never know how it's gonna go it was wasn't just you it was a large team uh, can you speak a little bit about winning a goddamn Emmy? I mean, that's a big deal. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, 
I've been working in the field of sound editing for a while and uh, and I hadn't worked on a lot of TV. So um, so I obviously wasn't expecting anything, any kinds of awards. Um, but the both Emmys that I have are from shows that were critically, you know, well thought of. It was the John Adams miniseries on HBO, which was fantastic, very well thought of at the time. And then, and then, of course, Game of Thrones, which is a really well liked series. And 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 maybe, unfortunately, a lot of times the the technical awards go along with popularity right. and critical acclaim and sure, stuff. Sure, and yeah. so. And so my chances, I suppose, were better working on something that was uh, of critical acclaim. And, and the um, way the Emmys work is that when you get called and you have won, they list the team and the, su- the supervisors get handed the statue. And I just assumed, you know, I wouldn't get a statue, but I, yeah. we walked in backstage and we were all handed a statue. So that was really cool um with the academy awards which i've also been on two teams nominated for academy awards then it's the supervisors only who get the hardware (laughs) and um i got thanked along the bottom when mad max fury road won i was like a little ticker along the bottom but but i didn't get the hardware so on the shelf you've got two emmys i have a uh what's called the golden reel, which is, is sort of done with the peers, the sound editors themselves, you know, giving each other awards basically. And I got one of those for uh, game of Thrones as well, but no hardware for the Academy award and, uh, and, and Joker didn't win. Yeah. Uh, first down, but was nominated. Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 I've heard they're stingy with those <laughs> as far as, as far as I get some out, but I don't, you know, all right. Yeah. I mean, and that's cool. <laughs> that's part of the reason it's special, right? Yeah. Because it is, uh, it isn't given to just anyone. As a matter of fact, uh, there were several supervisors involved in the show and the team had to decide which two because the Academy does not uh, recognize more than two supervisors so that you can't assign four or five people in that project went (laughs) on for years. So there had been some, you know, multiple people uh, involved, but, uh, and I became a member of the Academy in 2019. Um, so I get to actually vote now. Yay. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's sometimes like when, um, like when Parasite won, I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's great. I, I thought that movie was, was was very deserving, but I guess I shouldn't talk too much trash. But this is me talking trash, not you. Uh, like when Crash won, I was like, "Really, Crash? Huh? That's the one. That's that that, that was that was the best." Okay. Uh, but then, well, I think I think it's it again. You know, there's an element of sort of the popularity, but it also seems to be when it comes to Best Picture a little bit of the um off the beaten path but not too far off the beaten path we don't want to (laughs) go that far off the beaten path yeah we want to be we want to be interesting but not that interesting really like it shouldn't be too yeah this is still mass consumption you know it's funny because you you'd mentioned the john adams miniseries of course that's one giamatti and that's uh i i thought that one was was really fantastic and um it's not often for i guess you I mean, it's a period piece. It's a, it's a biopic, but you don't often think about like the this like the sound. Well, 
I always do, but most folks wouldn't think of like the sound editing or sound engineering for something like that. Like there's certain things that kind of come to mind. Like for a Fury Road, yeah, of course you're going to think yeah. about the sound. Well, right? sound effects <laughs> and music tend to be the real uh, grabbers in terms of that. But like I said, when something is critically acclaimed, it is sometimes more uh, highly thought of. Um, it's a more uh, Castaway was uh, a sound winner, and and when you think about the you know very subtle soundtrack really cool you know in the sense of trying to recreate this deserted island yeah. but it didn't involve a lot of sound effects and right. and explosions and stuff but um so you often will see that 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 they will get a little more attention if yeah. they are well and musicals which is odd because the music is sort of a separate group of people than the whole sound editing team right so so, so, so it's uh, like there's the diegetic is diegetic is that the word diegetic music and then you have the the incidental right well uh, like chicago one for sound yeah. editing and 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 it's a little bit like uh you know you have music it's it's soundtrack for sure but it's it's it i think it comes to the fact that people don't know what sound editing really is <laughs> especially dialogue editing what i do you know, yeah nobody, yeah it's like well, don't they just record it on the set what do you do it didn't like, just come out that way <laughs> doesn't it come out sounding good <laughs> you didn't just turn on a tape recorder and off you go <laughs> oh i had no idea uh, how did you how did you know did you get started with uh analog or did you get started on digital when you when you started in with uh with it as a, as a, as a, actually, a career i was right? actually right uh during the transition period between the two so i uh i had a computer career before i was in sound editing and uh and so when i was getting in pro tools and the digital workstation was just sort of starting to happen and my computer background i thought made me a good fit but then we were still doing things like laying back to mag tape to in order to uh send it uh, off to be processed so so it was right there in the early days of pro tools editing and with some you know big mag machines and wheels yeah. with film on them which were pretty unwieldy to, but i never actually did the scraping with the razor blade yeah and, uh, like <laughs> the, but I, slicing, I do know yeah. what a perp is well and it's almost like there was that time period where the, people were like well we don't know if this is going to stick around so we're just going to continue to to you know, send, send things out the way that we well, know and have the person. Right, it's a huge transition <laughs> for us for a, a sound company or or a sound department within the studio to to spend a bunch of money on computers and and sound cards and and all that was involved in switching to digital. And and then there's entire you know like people that service the machines and stuff like that where it's like they're like oh guess uh, there there goes my job security <laughs> which is the thing you well know? technology has a tendency to do that over the over all the industries eventually sure. right it's is some some modernization some mechanization and and they hope you know some of the more um physical labor hopefully is minimized and uh, and then they can demand for us to do incredible amounts of work in short amounts of time right. for not <laughs> much money because now the computer's doing it all right yeah, so it's yeah. big plus in terms <laughs> of expenditures yeah exactly you get more work out of them it's awesome <laughs> less people faster 
Fantastic. Faster, faster, faster. <laughs> Did you have an idea? So, and, and, and when you're talking about, which I just apparently had to throw an elbow into Crash earlier, but I just don't like that movie at all. <laughs> when you're working on something like Fury Road, though, like, do you just know that you're like, oh, this is, this is cool. Like, this is special. This is something that's like this, this is, this is going to, you know, some things that. Well, it was, it was pretty extreme. I mean, yeah. Warner Brothers was a little concerned about it when they st- first started um, seeing it because, like I said, a lot of money was spent. It spent years over in Australia and I was over in Australia and a lot of work was happening over in Australia. And I think there was some surprise when they actually saw it. If you saw the movie, then you know that you can't, it's not like spoon fed to you exactly what all is going on. It takes a little bit of, you know, maybe extra thought processes to figure out exactly who are these you know, metal boys, you know, with the spray paint and what's yeah. what's all going on here and the women with, you know, being breastfed and the, the mother's milk. And, you know, there's a lot of concepts being thrown at you very quickly. And uh, so so it was, you know, it was a little weird. And yet uh, George Miller, who made the first three Mad Maxes, you know, he was a doctor until he was 39. And was he really? Mad Max. He was 72 when we made Fury Road. And the guy's an animal. He works like a, a crazy person. And he's very much, you know, knows what he wants and knows what he yeah. thinks is good and, and was engaged in the whole process. And, um, you know, just a fascinating guy who obviously has a sensibility that people um, can relate to somehow. Right, yeah. Because, you know, the big, the big, uh, sort of competing movie that year was Revenant. Yeah. And it won a lot of the awards that year, including Best Picture. (laughs) It was not Fury Road. Uh, Now, looking back, which one is more of the sort of remembered cult classic? It's probably Fury Road, but... Yeah, they were like, Revenant, was that the one with the bear? (laughs) 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 At least in my circles, that's how it is. It's it's, it's, Fury Road was like... it was the winner in our hearts. Let's put it that way. I, you know, it was definitely more extreme. Yeah. And we, m- most people like extreme. Yeah. You know, it's another bear killing another man. Yeah. Know? Great. <laughs> was that grizzly man? No, it's a different bear and a different man. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, and, and and again, you bring up an important point. Like that's a movie that just sort of drops you in to the pool, like in the deep end immediately, and just trust that. You'll figure it out, or you won't, and you'll just enjoy the ride, and that's also okay. And you'll go watch it again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but then there's there's also, I mean, it's just it's action laden. It's not just an action movie; it's action laden. Like it seems like every yeah. every frame yeah. there's something happening. There's something something's clanking, something's going over this way. Someone's saying a thing, and you want to make sure that it gets heard. Versus, it, it seems like that's almost would be like the prog rock equivalent of. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. and the music is really intense through yeah. there so so you know you've got this battle and and this is an as a constant battle with an action movie you've got very big music and you've got very big sound effects and somehow the dialogue has to be <laughs> heard and understood and and on the on the mixing stage there's this sort of well the music's too loud well no the effects are too loud there gets interfering with the music and you know there's this sort of an ongoing push-pull relationship even though it all has to gel it it's definitely a, an art to get it all yeah. to find its space. I mean, it almost seems like to a certain degree that something like that wouldn't be that much different than, you know, mixing a record with a 
with a, with a loud aggressive band. It's sort of like a, there's a lot of stuff you want to have heard. <laughs> Depends on the important. record, you know. Yeah. Uh, my my new solo record, which is coming out uh, soon, my first solo record is pr- kind of minimal, yeah. and in that way, the mixing of it and the mastering of it has had a lot to do with with spaces. Yeah. <laughs> how 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 tough are these spaces going to be for people to deal with? Right. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a cause of concern and a something that's awkward spaces. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Living in. So and that and that's a big that's a big move. And there's a certain amount of weight that comes with, you know, when you're, when you're it's it's your thing. This is your deal. Like this isn't like you're you're not you're not hiding behind like or not hiding behind, but you're not like associated with a group of people that are all sort of equally involved and also taking blame the funny thing is i I actually thought i had sort of done the whole process and was pretty well versed and then suddenly i was confronted things like oh there's the whole like visual art and the layout of how it's going to (laughs) look and i'm like i'm an audio person how am i going to do this you know and now we're going to make a video like what what am i going to do now yeah i don't don't make videos you know so i realized that i hadn't actually been involved in some of the parts of the process i mean mike and i in dose did of course discuss what the cover would be on the cover and stuff and and my husband took the picture of that's on the cover of our last record but um in terms of like making all the decisions, uh, it, there were some surprises along the way. Well, it, there's a lot to consider, and there it kind of forces you to put the project manager hat on too, right? Because there's so many spinning plates going on that you know it, it's it's nice to be the person in in the band that's just like, okay, I did my part, I'm gonna go do something else now, but that never yeah, ends. Yeah, I mean, and okay. I've in my work life, I've often been you know, a member of the team, maybe an important member of the team, hopefully, but not necessarily the the boss. I kind of like having a boss to go to and say, look, I'm having this problem. Will yeah. you resolve <laughs> it for me? Right. Yeah. And it's, there's not that you're hiding behind it, but there's something to be said for having, having a team, like, like having, having folks that everyone's kind of doing their, their thing they're suited for, their thing they're assigned to it at, at bare minimum. And then, you know, that that math changes when it's when it's ostensibly like you're the captain of the ship because ultimately you're the captain of the ship, aren't you? That's right. You have to make the decisions. But it has been it's been a fun process and I and I do uh, I am really excited about it. It it kind of backed into it because I've been making my own music for years and years and years without really the intention of releasing anything. So was it just so like writing of, for your own for your own benefit? Just like, hey, I wanna this this is cool. I'll I'll record this so. it, it, someone uh, i've been working with my brother you know recording stuff and 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 producing stuff for years and then his his uh record uh it, the place where he the studio kitten robot is mm-hmm. now has a record label and he so he came to me and said do you want to put out a record on kitten robot and yeah. and so it was it was brought to me as a hey, we'll put out your record. And I definitely wouldn't have gone and sought a record label and sought to do it. But having it sort of fall into yeah. my lap, people encouraging <laughs> me to do it does make it a little easier. That's like opportunity knocks, right? It's like, okay, well, right. you know, if you got this thing going on, yeah, I got a thing. Let's do a thing. Great. <laughs> Uh, and, and yes. that's and that's Paul that you're talking about, right? That's uh, my brother Paul. Yeah. I only have one. <laughs> the, 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 the we br- have the same mother and father. That's 
that that that, it, that I was I was gonna say that's rare these days, but maybe it's just in my friends group that that's that that's rare. <laughs> uh, but it's and um, you know, he's he's no stranger to music himself. You know, screamers like just alone would would be like you know like, what what an impressive uh, catalog of music. Yeah, he well, and now he's as a producer, he's just been he's just been producing all of these bands and and has really you know thrived in the environment of the studio in terms of facilitating people's music and and you know he and I took very different paths. We were both you know we both started music very young and 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 he quit college and went on tour with the Screamers and I sort of watched as he you know had children and was the the epitome of a starving artist in a sense yeah. you know committed completely and I said you know what I'm not <laughs> sure that's my cup of tea I think I might finish college and yeah. like have a backup plan and uh and when I joined Black Flag in 1983 I told them you know I'm three years into into UCLA and I I'm happy to take time off, but I do want to finish. You know, that was still something that I was like, I just want to have this backup plan because the whole starving artist thing is, you know, doesn't look like that much. Yeah. I, I, I like those books. I don't want to live that life. You know, exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 I admire people <laughs> like that. And I frankly, I think that those of us who do work a straight job do suffer a different kind of pain, which is... You know, I had to write a song once about walking past my base to go to work. You know, that, that I'm still a, been a bass player longer than I've been a woman, you know. So it's a fundamental part of me. And that having to detach from it, you know, constantly and constantly subjugate it uh, to my work life is a whole different struggle. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a struggle that I think a lot of people contend with. And, you know, all the more so in these aggressively self-reflective times where you're, you're not given much choice other than to sit with your thoughts and, you know, your life decisions because, you know, you're, you're ideally locked down and uh, not getting infected with uh, uh, some global pandemic, not to put it to right. fine point on. In case anyone, right. case anyone wasn't aware, there's a global pandemic going on. Uh, well, and, and still, <laughs> still, <sighs> still. It, it's interesting too, to me that, you know, when you when you did start in with it, even if you're starting in like which at the time would have been like, quote unquote, later, later in life, which is absurd to think about now when you think about how the timeline of like what is and is not acceptable times to be playing music. Always absurd. But uh, those definitions have changed. Chuck Tukowski, pretty good on the bass. A lot of people really like Chuck Tukowski, too. <laughs> I like to Chuck Tukowski. How could you not? It's incredible. Of course. How could you not? You know? Um, look, and it was and it was disposed to me. He's not in the band anymore. Yeah. I mean, did, did so, you have it? Did you have any thought to like, ooh. <laughs> like you don't want to do a Chuck Tukowski impersonation, but you know, but I mean, you're gonna they do, were you. my favorite band. Yeah when I joined them. So of course, uh, I mean, I knew, I knew all that Chuck brought to the table and he continued to be involved. He scheduled the tours. He was, we still performed songs that Chuck wrote. He was a fundamental part of the group. And, and in some ways that helped yeah. because 
it was there was camaraderie between all of us and uh and i i never was trying to compete it was basically like but if you you get asked hey do you want to join your favorite band <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i'm like well yes that would be cool <laughs> that sounds all right yeah sounds okay let's do that i mean yeah i could try <laughs> how did that how was that first practice when, 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 you, when you very first well it was bizarre because henry called and he said you, he told me you know and i was playing with des and dc3 and we were practicing at the same place so he's like well why don't you stay after practice and jam with greg and bill and uh i said okay and then at, after practice there you know here come greg and bill and uh and I said, so do you guys want to jam? It was like they knew nothing about this. I don't know. Henry didn't really tell them this was his plan or whatever. But right. they seemed a little surprised. But, yeah, hey, let's let's play. And we we jammed on some of the stuff that uh, is, a, is falls into the category of the instrumental stuff yeah. that uh, we later played. Uh, riffs on which the goal was for me to hold down the fort on the riff while you know, Greg and Bill did their mightiest to pull me <laughs> off of it. And, you know, so so that became clear that that was the 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 dynamic, right? I play the riff over and over again, and they do all this really cool, bizarre stuff that doesn't get. I don't get to get thrown off by. Right. And so we did that for a couple of hours, and then they said, you know, well, do you want to join the band? And I, you know, and I, like I said, immediately pointed out, look, I, I'm three years into this four-year degree. I, I will take time off. I'm happy to work. And they said they'd work around my schedule. I was like, well, that's my only caveat. So Beautiful. done. It was done that fast. Did you, I mean, and those guys, obviously, you know, monster players, but there almost does seem to be, there could be some kind of academic decathlon level of like trying to throw someone, you know, trying to throw the new person to see how they react. Did you, was there any of that? I don't really, uh, you know, I meant that, that more creatively like yeah. that, that, you know, I don't think, I think that was the hope that <laughs> I could be that, you know, an anchor in, in, in terms of, you know, the musical stylings, if you will. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I don't, I think that it was all very positive. You know, the one thing I've always appreciated of playing with frankly men and why my attempt at having an all girl band didn't go as well was that it was, it's treated somewhat more professionally. Like it's a, it's sort of a job and you just, you know, there isn't a lot of emotional tug of war. It's very much just like we're, you know, we're trying to do this team and can we all kind of stay in sync for some number of months or years. And, and that's what it felt like. It was like, can you fit into this and we'll do this structure and we'll make this structure move, you know, around the country right. a few times and make a few records. Was the, was the trying out in, like the more instrumental stuff and kind of that, uh, and I think back to, you know, the, like the records being split that is like, okay, this is like the instrumental side. This is, this is, you know, Henry doing his spoken word stuff process of weeding out i'm a big fan of that record i think that record family man was first family man was first but like were they already doing the instrumental stuff before like was that sort of like expected like oh there's gonna be some instrumental stuff probably too or well was it even discussed greg's mindset was 
I like to play 10 hours a day. That's Greg. Now a vocalist can't (laughs) do that for 10 (laughs) hours. Right. So, so Greg's going to have this amount of time that he's playing and it's not with Henry. Right. So there's just a, a mathematical sort of possibility. Now, Bill and I, you know, we could hit a max at about five hours. So there were those three hours and we would, yeah. I mean, it was always going to be this set of quote unquote instrumental stuff. I didn't know necessarily that the goal was to have instrumental records, but yeah. the the sort of jamming and the, um, the creative aspect of Greg just wanting to play that much was a given. And we would play sort of until we dropped and Greg would often then jam with someone else. It's guitar, you know, come on. It's not as physical. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's sort of like uh, when they talk about push-ups to exhaustion, it's like playing to exhaustion. (laughs) Yeah. And slowly by attrition, you know, Henry would drop and then Bill would limp out. And then, you know, the next, Crew, come on, boy. So when Family Man kind of starts to come together as a record, uh, and it, like, at what point does it be like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna split the record this way? Like, you know, side A is gonna be this, side B is gonna be this. Like, did that? Were you was that surprising to you, or is that something that kind of just made sense of where the band was at the time? Because there's a lot of growth happening. Well, the way this stuff is recorded uh, was recorded at that time was like, uh, oh, we're gonna do a 48 hour lockout at the studio. It's cheaper that way, and you're just again gonna play until you drop multiple times in that 48 hours, okay. and we're gonna record the basic tracks to two records. We recorded Slip It In. Uh, I might have only recorded that one alone, but we recorded Family Men with other material. So um, so when we were recording it, I certainly didn't know exactly how it all was going to lay out. And Greg and Bill were more decision makers than I. I was, like I said, at UCLA studying applied math, you know, for part of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were were home, I would, you know, that was a part of my focus. And I was not, I was somewhat of a, you know, being the newbie, you know, not trying to, to push things in any particular direction. If they asked my opinion, of course, I was always willing, but I, uh, my role, especially at the beginning was, you know, just to show up and, and play until I couldn't play anymore and then go study and then go to school and then play until I couldn't play anymore and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, and the, and, and the reason I'm kind of harping on this is that it's a kind of unique, it's a unique situation to be in that, like, just one of those things is pretty exhausting, like fulfilling but exhausting, right? And you're and you're doing both at the same time. Did you feel like you were going insane during that time period, just, like, managing all that? There were some, there are moments, you know, inevitably when we had the 48 hour lockout, I would have midterms, you know, coming at the same time. So when we couldn't play anymore, they'd be sleeping and I would sometimes be studying, you know, and, um, and being poured out of the van to the UCLA campus coming back from tour and the sorority girls looking at me in horror, you know, as I, right, you like, know, oh my God. out of the van with a bag and, and schlepped off to my first day of classes, you know, for, for a quarter that now that we were home, you know, so there were certainly surreal moments when it felt like I, I couldn't, I'd be sitting in a calculus class or applied math class after being on tour for months and trying to get your brain to go back to one kind of logic right. from a whole different kind of logic yeah. was, you know, often a, a difficult adjustment. Um, but I, 
actually had discovered earlier than that. Uh, when I finished high school, I was uh, I was lucky enough to uh, that my father had made this part of the arrangement with the the support money was. Uh, that I could take a year off from college, from school before starting college, and I did, and I did just do music during that time, and and I had sort of decided that that the mental stimulation, you know, was something that I uh, valued, and that having that balance between music and you know the the studies or whatever was actually. Um, better for me somehow that I was better suited to not living the lifestyle of a musician only you know that came quite clear to me I was I was I was quote-unquote bored in a way you know I was going to practice every day and I was going to gigs and stuff to watch people play or to play myself but it wasn't quite enough you know so I'd already kind of made the decision that that I would at least push through this uh, challenge. Well, and I think a lot of people that maybe haven't <clears throat> haven't been in bands that toured or, or you know, what quote unquote live the life just don't realize how much just waiting around for things to happen there there is uh, when when you're in a band. Not so much, not so much the way we toured though. I was gonna say, Let but me, <laughs> first of all, days off, as Mike Watt would say, well, if you ain't playing, you're, you're paying. paying. <laughs> so uh days off weren't really happening sometimes th- there's quite a bit of driving to do especially when you're not on the east coast you know the drives are longer plus we were traveling much of the time i was in the band with our own pa system which meant we had to get there two hours before sound check yeah and we had two hours after we played for two hours of tear down and sometimes just drive to the next town yeah. because we sleeping, you know, there wasn't time for that. Also, when we sound checked, Greg, like I pointed out, liked to jam. So we would often not just, you know, do a song or two, but play for, you know, an hour or something to, in order to, to let him, you know, meander along the guitar for a while. <laughs> so, you know, the truth of it was um, there wasn't a lot of, downtime sure you're not playing for two out of the 24 hours you're actually playing the show in this case but the driving the equipment moving the shuffling the you know you know you gotta try to eat once in a while and you know you put all the little pieces together yeah. occasionally do laundry that's the only thing a day off is good for um and then you sometimes sleep on some people's floors you know Hey, anybody got a place to stay? <laughs> well, and and you know, Flag was one of the progenitors of the, of the whole touring thing. Uh, you know, certainly on, on a DIY level, and it just it, it occurs to me that had you traveled that much before uh, playing in the band? Um, I had not seen as much of the country as I got to see, which was really sure. cool. Yeah. I had not uh, been to Europe. I, uh, my family did, we did travel to the Caribbean. I had, I had been to, to Mexico and the Caribbean. My dad was in uh, scuba diving, uh, an underwater photographer and a, and a scuba diving guy. So we had done some traveling uh, outside the U.S. We lived outside the U.S. for a few years, but I hadn't, uh, none of the places we f- frequented uh, on tour had I been to before uh, you know with the possible exception of new haven connecticut where i was born 
Um, so, uh, and getting to see the country, I, I suggested everyone drive across yeah. the country at some point in their life. It's pretty incredible. It's a pretty unique way to experience the world. And it's it's something that uh, you know it's it's certainly I, I I recommend it as well. I think it's it, it made me into a better person in its way. Uh, did you find that you know? And again, not that there's like as you mentioned, not that there was tons of downtime, but you're all kinds of different people from different like backgrounds and different areas, different accents, different everything. Did you did did, did you find was it was it more like you along for the adventure? Was it you know over overwhelming? I mean, it's a lot to take in just to like be in a touring band, but when you're when you're Black Flag, too, and there's the Black Flag reputation that comes with it. <laughs> you know, I was I was definitely maxed out. I was, you know, you sleep maybe four hours a night yeah. and you're, you're physically pushed to the absolute limit. And, and I was not doing a lot of socializing or, you know, cultural uh expanding i i always say it was more like um training for the olympics than anything you know just incredibly physical and just you know and it gets to where you know you're just trying to find you know the opportunity to sleep or rest or wash up you know i was really big on the girls bathrooms at the club because the guys would compete for the showers at some poor guy's house that we're staying with. And I don't want to stay up and try to compete for the showers. So I would take a sink bath at the club. You know, that's how I the glamour stuff got a little extra rest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not waiting in line for the shower. Yeah. And it's, you know, it just, it just occurs to me that it's almost, you know, to a certain degree, like military conscription or something, but with the, with less facilities, a little bit. I mean, in Europe, I did. Uh, I, I went on a quest to compare and contrast chocolates, and I every everywhere we I went, I just asked them to bring me their best chocolate. Nice. That was my my thing, and I ate a lot of chocolate, and and I um, <clears throat> decided the Swiss make some very good chocolate. I, it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing they're pretty good at of here. Yeah. Belgium <laughs> is very good at chocolate. Yeah. Anyway, that was that was one. I, I only went to Europe with them once and and that was the only sort of cultural enrichment i really got which you could do worse i mean you know especially if you like chocolate <laughs> my middle name was chocolate <laughs> uh, so then okay so when, when the when the band does uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the process of weeding out i think that's a, a, a fantastic record i think it's unique uh in its as a composition even now but especially 85 right is about when that was like wasn't much like that coming out certainly not from ostensibly a quote-unquote punk rock band right uh, and not to say that you know again if you if if you were familiar with the you know if you, if you listen to family man if you paid attention to the band it wouldn't be that surprising i mean most of the live shows we would do one or two instrumental song throw them in there henry got in the habit of standing behind the Tom Tom and banging on the drum a little bit and and so we had we we opened uh with process of weeding out on uh some of the tours on that of that song so so yeah I mean if you were paying attention you knew that that was I mean we did some instrumental gigs uh in LA so it was a part of the the repertoire but um and you know the truth be told uh, the in my head record would have 
been another instrumental record. But uh, what, what I love about that record is that Henry would sit and while we were, you know, working on those tunes, he wrote lyrics to yeah. a bunch of them. So they turned into, you know, more of him expressing himself than, than in a lot of the other material. And it became, you know, it organically became Black Flag material that um, that sprung from, you know, Greg and Henry's creativity, but turned into more of a unified creation than yeah. than any other record. I, I mean, some, you know, more than the sum of its parts, right? Like where, yeah. <laughs> which is which is, you know, an ideal situation for you know a band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I loved it. I loved that. Uh, did you did you find that like what was the reaction at the time for Process of Weeding Out? Because now now I feel like that is a that's a record that kind of true heads will know, like you know record nerds, like people that appreciate it. I feel like there's there's less of a stay true to your genre <laughs> kind of mindset. <laughs> well, no, people were you know the whole time. Let's I mean. The whole time people weren't happy, you know, they're yeah. never happy. You know, we go out and do the My War tour, we're playing side two, they're not happy. Yeah. Play, you know, and the next tour they're like, the play side two. Weeding out is. It's like, do you want do you want to hear us do what we're doing? Or are you yeah. like asking us to play damaged again? And and so you did have you always had a contingent of people who who we were doing it wrong. The guy's hair was too long. I was the shortest hair in the and then they had a girl in the band, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's like they were never uh, totally accepting when it's new. People don't like change, you know, and, and change was something that Greg sort of insisted on. And, and the, you know, that's part of why I was in the band. That's part of why instrumental songs happened or slow songs happened or whatever. That was just part of the, we, we were, were not, I mean, how the hell it, it, we people look back and call Black Flag a hardcore band? That word was never in existence. Right. We would have never said we were a hardcore band. You know, it just um, sometimes the genre thing or the you know the categorizing of music is you know anybody who can be categorized is is not that interesting. Yeah, and things get retroactively classified. Too. Like right. just, you know, and, and, and like it's 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 always crazy to see how how that happens and to see how history remembers certain things one way and certain things the other when it's like, oh no, all those bands played together and you know, it wasn't a big deal and <laughs> nobody was thinking about any of those but, things. But on the other hand, there were there were always people who, you know, we, we toured with the meat puppets. What the hell is that? You know, <laughs> we, you know, there there was always that too. You know, I was in a band called Twisted Roots. We were, they were a little bit poppier. We're playing at the punk rock show that people didn't, you know, I mean, the Go-Go's were playing punk yeah. rock shows too, but it was, there was always that resistance um, to, you know, you're not doing what my idea of it, it should be. People want to criticize. Being a critic is easy. Yeah. It's easy to criticize. Exactly. Well, and, and especially you can say a lot of things about black flag, but black flag always, did what Black Flag wanted to do. There was always forward movement. It was never going to be the same thing. It was always going to be changing. And I don't know. I mean, some some people just like things to be the same, I guess. But, uh, you know, whatever. I, I well, want... and there's still the rehash thing is still huge, yeah. you know. And people want people to go out. And, and, I mean, I love that Flag put that together only because there 
they finally get some recognition for something that you know at the time we got no recognition for but but the rehash thing in general i'm not gonna go see a band that i saw 30 years ago playing those songs i I, you know i want to see them do something new well and nostalgia is tied into it now too and nostalgia used to be something that was like you know kind of looked down upon like oh why would you be in a st- come on get with it <laughs> now yeah. it's now it's like oh it's like this nostalgia industrial complex now but yeah i mean <laughs> i mean come on let's face it punk rock is way hip now <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like all the people it's that would so hip to be punk rock you know but i think it kind of misses the idea that punk rock had to begin with which was to be counter to something yeah. i think dose was very punk rock there's nothing else like it you know just even conceptually of, of like oh it's two bases oh and what else no that's it it's just two bases <laughs> i was like it's me and mike what wow, where okay. is there room for anything else yeah yeah no i, I mean i thought it was, it was Punk rock is all hell. Like a you know genius band in that way, and and um, yeah, and I, I want to get to 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 uh, dose for sure. I want to talk about that. I I like slip it in. That that art is a lot, uh, even for Pettibone. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you? Well, yeah. Pettibone <laughs> well, is a lot for well, Pettibone. I've been saying that, and yeah. I'm also thinking of of the police story f- photo as I said that. So maybe it's not yeah. quite a lot. But I mean, come on. <laughs> So, um, so let's retract that a little bit, but it's it's a it's it's a bold cover. It's a bold cover, uh, you know, a bold album. There, there's some. I I think I like Slipping in quite a bit. There's definitely, you know, listening to that as adult versus as like you know, 15 year old. You have different thoughts about things for sure. Um, what, what was sure. what was? <laughs> but what I'm interested in, what was your thought process for that? Like, did you, with with that coming together that way? Well, I mean, you know, the I mean, the music obviously came together first, you know, we were playing the music, we recorded the music, all that happened first. And so, so the, the spirit of the music was in place. And then when the record album was shown to me, or the art for the record was shown to me, there was, you know, sure, there's this, this moment of like, well, is this how you feel about women? But it, you know, again, Pettibone was his own island in a sense. It was not, he was not necessarily on the island with us that was the team of people. He was an artist who, you know, Greg wanted to use his art on the cover. They, they meshed his concepts and our concept of how we wanted to make people feel did often <laughs> mesh, you know, but it, in the same way that Black Flag wants to slam you up against the back of the wall in pain via sound, Pettibone wants to do that in, in with his art. Yeah. And so they fit very well together. But I don't, I never tried to, break it all down in some sort of you know social context you know as the bass player <laughs> fair enough fair enough well and it's it's again if, if you're uh, which infected one's always been a bit of a provocateur right and, and it's something that like it's going to spark a reaction you're not going to sit there and, and you know look at these at these and and not think of something whether it's you know that's awesome or that's revolting or whatever, like you're going to think of something and that, you know, that if you're talking about art, 
There's no, there's, there's the worst thing in art is evoking no reaction whatsoever. So, right. I mean, isn't the point of art to feel something? And, you know, and that's, you know, all the way to the record I'm putting out right now, which is, you know, is about expressing these feelings and and we were expressing feelings then and Pettibone was expressing feelings and and they may hopefully make you feel something and you know what I don't want to listen to music that doesn't make me feel anything yeah yeah absolutely I don't want to look at art that doesn't make me feel anything well and again it's this is going to sound contradictory because we were talking about you know the 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 dearth of nostalgia and like how there's it's totally ubiquitous right now but it is kind of nice that people can discover music whenever they can they can find it in their own time and they can mean what it means to them you know at that age even if they weren't around for it and that's you know that's lovely that's a nice thing it, it is and that's the part of me that says yeah it's cool that <clears throat> flag and black flag for that matter go out now because there are a lot of people who didn't get to experience it obviously right Nobody practically got to experience. <laughs> we were starving. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Ten bucks a day per diem, you know. If everyone thought it was a glamorous situation, it was oh, yeah. certainly not. High glamorous, sleeping on people's floors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that the, the the Who's Got the Ten and a Half record is like um, that's up there as like one of the great live records for me did did you uh can you tell us a little about recording that like what what did you know ahead of the time that it was going to be recorded for the show was there a plan action yes yeah so so that was a, a four-month tour uh so it was the longest tour that i was on and and it was a a haul and and it was recorded three plus months in so what happens on tour obviously is is things get very tight Oh, you know, yeah. with the band, you know, and, and, and so so it was planned to have a mobile recording unit come to the place because because what better way to get the live record than when we were sort of a well-oiled machine pulling into a club that what we knew was a pretty good sounding club and then bringing professional recording gear uh, vehicle up to uh, record it. And then, you know, of course, what you do is you just play another show. Yeah. You know, I mean, the actual recording of it was, yeah, we played the show. Well, and, and yeah, you mentioned like being like, you know, it, it's tour tight. Like everyone's like hitting, you know, like Terminator, you know, doing doing their thing. And it, it shows because you listen to it and even the it, and it's not that like, you know, the album versions are like recorded poorly or anything, but it just hits differently because it's got a totally different energy when it's a song that's been played just relentlessly night after night after night. Yeah, after yeah. Night. I think that Black Flag was very hard to capture in the studio. It yeah. was, you know, the energy level. I think Live 84 is a is a great recording as well. Yep. And it captures, it's just, that was part of why the records were, those records were important because it, it captures something that's so difficult to capture in the studio. Was was did Henry develop the uh, the who's got the ten and a half uh, talk up during the tour? Like did that start off as being like you know one thing and then it kind of got longer and longer, or was that off the top of his I head swear, or what? I swear the way I remember it was just one day. I th- when we were still in the south. I mean, he did it for mo- much of the tour. We started yeah. in the south. That's what you do in the in the in the heading into fall and anyway there's there's a rotational issue with with the tour but anyway what you uh 
what you end up with is, you know, one day he started sort of doing that spiel and I guess he liked it because then he started doing it every <laughs> bloody night. And um, look, Henry was a, is a funny, he, I thought he was a funny guy before I was in Black Flag. Um, I, one of my favorite things about him is his sense of humor. And he has a very interesting, funny concept of the world. And, and somehow that just came out of him one day. And look, I used to say, you know, uh, you know, they, that I wanted to sort of amputate my hands and put a large, you know, much larger set of hands onto <laughs> my wrists, right? And, and um, the pain of, you know, doing that stuff and just the, you know, the sort of physical and, and, and the way, the style that you have to do anyway, you know, so I, I had talked about this sort of wanting to be, at least hands wise, you know, bigger and better. And maybe that somehow triggered that. I don't know. I mean, there was always a joke. There was always jokes about, you know, men's penis sizes. That's been going on since the dawn of time. Right. I don't know how I got involved other than (laughs) there. I was was, standing there. I had to say something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, it's so, it's so awesome too, that it's, um, that it's the album title because it's something like, you know, I, I can, I can say as a younger man, I was like, huh. I wonder what that means. And then, yeah. and then you listen to it you're like, oh, that's hilarious. That's the title is like from this. It's not even like one of the, the songs. The weird ass thing was that it came out after they threw me out of the band. I was like, why would you want to call the record that? I mean, you're kind of saying, okay, this record's called Kira. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that would make <laughs> sense. We her out, right. but there she is. <laughs> That's great. Uh, was the uh, was was the the Minaflag EP? Was that the um, was that the first time you had done anything with uh, with Watt? Was that the first time? Um, that was the first time that I had actually played at the same time that he played. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd seen the Minutemen, of course, around town many times, and they were label mates. Um, I would see Mike at SST answering phones, you know, doing business work um but no we we had never actually played together and 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 i was not a part of the decision to uh to merge two bands into something but um again we had a 48 hour lockout so you know we're gonna be down there recording stuff so why not yeah come on down might as well maximize the effort sure right right (laughs) uh gotta record more than one album at a time yeah why wouldn't you of course (laughs) You're, you're, waste, you're just wasting money if you're not. Uh, so, so fast forward over to when you guys started up Dose. Like, how did how did that come to pass? Was that just a conversation of like, hey, let's do a, a band that's two bases, or was it just more like, let's just play some music? Like, what 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 was the um, genesis of that band? Well, it was actually very very much related to Debo dying, yeah. and I had a pretty strong concern that Mike would stop playing. Yeah. You know, Debu was his best friend and his, his bandmate. It was a devastating loss. So, um, and he and I had been dating and, uh, and I just, um, yeah, it started with let's, let's just play. You know, I had been doing these <clears throat> bedtime stories for my nephews um, with 
two sort of noodling baselines. And so I'd show them something like that, or, or we would develop something out of a jam. And, and, you know, there was no, uh, there was no agenda for a, a long time with that. It was just, um, I play, you play, let's play. And then when, you know, the discussion of actually trying to have a band, it was, we had had the Minute Black experience. We knew, <laughs> I mean, you can't have anything else. Two bases is a lot. It's a lot. You know? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is. It's a lot. <laughs> and it's, and, it, and the truth is that the, that the, that the challenge in those is all about the songwriting and writing the lines so that they complement each other and, 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 and finding the holes and finding the spaces and, and having to find spaces when you got a bloody drum set or, you know, wailing guitar, there's just less space. So, so it made perfect sense to us that there wouldn't be room if we were really going to be doing what, what we like to do, meaning, you know, exploring the whole, thing that is base, you know, that it would have to be uh, without anybody else. Yeah, because it is, it, you know, there it does seem to be like there's a lot of thought and articulation with the compositions and the fact that, I mean, there kind of has to be. You're occupying, you know, a much more yeah, limited... Yeah, there's, there's no jamming on my part <laughs> right, at all. Exactly. Uh, occasionally, uh, there, there are places where my solos, quote-unquote, but nothing yeah. I do is not planned. I, I'm not... Uh, a jammer when it comes to uh, dose. I was never quite relaxed enough to be someone who would, uh, you know, <clears throat> improvise on stage or whatever. It's never really my cup of tea. There's, you know, improvising in a garage with your friends. Okay, fine. But I never felt confident enough in my ability to do something cool without working it out ahead of time. Well, in, in a traditional band environment too, like the bass is meant to be like you know holding down the helping hold down the rhythm. Like if you have, if everybody flying out the handle all the time, it's free jazz, and that's not necessarily yeah. if that's what you're trying to yeah. do. Great, but <laughs> right. So so the, it became. Plus, we 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 were very sure that we didn't want there to be a you know a sort of holding down the fourth person and a and a soloing person. Yeah. We we yeah. very much wanted it to be uh dueling bases and therefore it had to it had to leave spaces and it had to grab hold of spaces and the only way to do that is to to somewhat plan them out well it just it occurs to me that all of the all the records do have a certain thoughtfulness to it uh because of that and the fact that you're you're trying to use a set of criteria and instruments that are generally only thought of in a certain way and kind of do interesting and cool things with them. But then also not so interesting and cool that it leaves the song behind and becomes hot nonsense too, which is, which is, which is key. And again, especially it's, it's not a lot of bands have done it. Well, my, you know, Minutemen were very, Bass centric. Mike had a lot of room in that, and, and so I, I think for him it was it came a little more naturally, probably. And and I had been doing this these uh, these bedtime stories, so I had been working on the concept of what to play on the subsequent bass line after I had laid one down. So so 
So, but it was still kind of new to me to have the freedom to um, do whatever I wanted. Also, I was never a singer and, uh, and yeah. I still don't think of myself as a singer, but you know, I, um, Billie Holiday has been a, a hero of mine since I was pretty young. Did, and, did you see the movie? Did you and see it the, started uh... to. The, the, the movie that just came, sorry to interrupt, but did you see the movie that just came out? Uh, I did. I still haven't seen it. I, I, I almost pulled the trigger like last week and you just reminded me. But uh, was it good? Did you like it? I did. I, um, I've i seen so much stuff. Where I didn't feel yeah. like it necessarily covered a lot of new ground. And she performed uh, versions of the songs that were very much the the record versions of the songs. And one of the amazing things about Billie Holiday, of course, is that every time she sang a song, she sang it differently. Yeah. So I almost felt that it was a little contained in terms of, of the vocal, uh, very high quality singing and very interesting renditions of a very specific performance by Billie. But but Billy would have done it. She would have done it different, you know, yeah. Live, it yeah, would have yeah. never sounded like that record, right? So, so there was an aspect to me that would have loved to ha- have the singer be a little more exploratory because yeah. Billy had that. Now I say that, and then I went and did the same thing when I, you know, pretty much sang the, <laughs> the record version of it's "Don't Pretty Explain Close," yeah, and uh, and Willow. But but at the same time, you know, I I. I'm not a singer, I guess. So, and and I had so so there were there were some singing songs that came about that way, and then just some of the songwriting, you know, that that got to be a part of it, and we explored that a little bit, which was new for me and a new way to express myself that I hadn't very much in the past. Did you? So, so did you find because he did, yeah, and there was, you know, the covers are interesting too. And I mean, they're obviously it would be different just because of the instrumentation, sure, sure. But like, also, did you take great care uh, in picking them as, as being thematic? Or was it more just like, I like this song, you know, I think we can do a decent version of this, let's go. I think that, you know, the artist picking the artist was one thing, and then, you know, I think we probably did choose a song that had a base sensibility that we thought was a good starting point to work from, you know, uh, and, and there are songs that would be a lot harder for me to sing. And, you know, so there was some practical considerations in what was selected. Did you have any idea uh, like that you ever really wanted to, sing like in in a band did you ever have that idea or was it just something that didn't really occur to you being like a bass player by nature i um i once uh when i was like 17 or 18 was in a band with this kind of metal band and i uh, i sang this sort of metal cover band and they these three young lads played the music and i and i sang And and I did that for fun for a little bit, and and I, but it kind of it sort of solidified for a long time the idea to me that singing was not my my primary mode of expression, and it isn't. Um, this record I'm about to put out has every single song is singing on it, so I, I'll tell on myself. But uh, but so the voice becoming a way for me to express my emotions came you know, very slowly and still come slowly. I don't write, I'm not prolific as a songwriter I write, uh, but I do have 
things I need to say sometimes, you know, so it, it more comes out of a need to express myself than it does um, bass playing is just an absolute integral part of who I am. And singing is just, oh, I can add this clarity to this thing I'm trying to tell you. And that's, uh, so what would you say, you, you, so you have the parallel worlds of, of music and then you've got you know the, the editing work and working in audio as well. Is there anything that you've like learned from doing all the audio editing stuff that you've been able to apply to music and vice versa? I mean, I'm sure to a certain degree there's about, you know, obviously recording a record is something that you certainly will, you understand what audio editing is. You know, <laughs> but the that, truth but... is, uh, it, it's, I consider it totally separate. Yeah, I mean, it seems I, different worlds uh, for you. My, I use Pro Tools. That's about the, the commonality is I have Pro Tools at home to do, be able to record my, my songs and I use it. Uh, especially lately, I've been using it for my work too, because I haven't been going out to work as often. Um, but, and, and yeah, I mean, obviously I can fix mistakes now in the music that I might not have been able to fix. Like old, in the old days, you had to punch in, right? right exactly, and sometimes yeah. that is the best way of solving it. But on occasion, um, with more minor uh, mistakes and stuff, I will just do fix it uh via editing and so so in that way uh, but actually music editing to my mind and and i don't want to put down music editors but it to my mind is a little more uh, rudimentary than some of the editing i have to do on on, on the dialogue and the adr front well yeah because you're not only talking about dynamic range and, and content but you're talking about it fitting in with everything else you're fitting in with the you know the music and the you know explosions or the yeah <laughs> You know, the Wilhelm well, screen, whatever. Like, things like syncing ADR to the, yeah. you know, picture that is, you know, that's a, so the moving mouth that is already going or the kinds of organic problems you have in recordings that you have to try to fix because um, the production dialogue has to not sound like it was actually recorded in the swamp just because it was recorded in the swamp. You right. know? We want to be able to hear what uh, they're saying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you actually want to understand what people are saying sometimes, you know? So, um, so I think of the dialogue editing and, and stuff as, as just a million problems and how many can I solve by the time the mix comes along yeah. where, it, and I don't, and it's not a particularly creative thing of me expressing myself the way the music is it's more of a a puzzle which i enjoy and and the you know the better i can do with the puzzle the better the clients will be happier the mixer will have less of a struggle and stuff but uh, but the creative sort of express myself stuff has to come out of music it's funny you mentioned that because I was going to say like like a puzzle, but then you said it. So that that was uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's it, because that sounds like a puzzle. Uh, it, also, one of the things when when I so personally, when I became aware of your audio editing work, the first the, the first thing I thought of was, wow, I wonder if they know it's that Kira, like meaning that the people you work with like know that. Like, do, do they know that you've played in music? Do you know if you're either Kira from Black Flag? Like. It's it's really best when that happens organically and it right. has happened organically in a really fun way sometimes, you know, where um, I, I certainly don't lead, obviously, with that part of my uh, my life. Um, but I have had I, I did actually once have have a director who I was I was uh, going to 
go play a gig or something. Somehow we were, you know, between between work type stuff. It was sort of casual conversation. I said something about uh, going to play that I play the bass guitar, and the guy said, the director said, well, that's really strange because I know another Kira who plays bass guitar and he sort of starts putting it together while he's saying that there's this other Kira. So, you know, that was awesome. It's, it's great when it happens like that. I also had, had one uh, once I uh, was sitting in an ADR session, sitting next to the director, which I often do. And the actors over there and the, and the guy, the recordist, the guy who's up in the booth came down, um, and he kind of leaned over to me at one point and he said, I just, I just want to say I really admire your work, you know, and he, kind of, and he kind of scurried away. And the director kind of leaned over and he said, yeah, me too. <laughs> and I had no <laughs> idea, awesome. you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's really fun when it happens in a way where it's not, um, certainly not me bringing it up and it's not, uh, I don't know, you know, it, it has given me some street cred. I, I think, I, I think it helped me get, uh, to work on stars born when I was recommended to the supervisor. I think the fact that I had a musical background, um, was played by the person recommending me, but it's, it's definitely not, um, I just don't wear it front and center, um, because I don't think it's necessarily something that everyone will find important to, yeah. you know, the workflow. I, I got my many, a couple of my computer jobs, the guys, the boss said, oh, you play music? Oh, then you're probably a really great programmer, you know, because he associated <laughs> music to, with computer programming. Sure, so, yeah. you know, um, it's nice when it happens sort of organically and it isn't, uh, it's not a flag I like to wave. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not like you're... It's, it's, it's 30 years ago now. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's practically another lifetime and you're not sitting there with a megaphone like announcing it to anyone, but it's yeah. just, but I'm just thinking in terms of you know, for folks that have aspects of their life that that where there is a divide between it, where it's like that, you know, this this is over here and this is over there. When there's that interceding, that can be interesting, and most especially when it's like, I mean, let's not put too fine a point on it. Incredibly iconic band, incredibly influential band, and when people find out about it, they get, I you know, I would imagine if they're a fan, they're going to be like excited and like and or confused or. <laughs> you know, of like, wait, what? Like, what? The same one? Huh? What? And I, it's probably different for someone like Henry, who's like the front person, I'm sure. But I'm just thinking back to like, I can think of a few awesome uh, lady bass players who directly cite you as an influence that like your playing had them pick up an instrument and do what they do. And it, that well, matters. there were female bass players before me who influenced me. So that's the way it should be. You know, hopefully Absolutely. we have our people that inspire us uh, of whatever shape or form. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, I guess when it comes to work at this point, and, and of course things change, but at this point I have a reputation as just doing that editor. yeah you know I, ha I have that so the people who you know hire me or look me up on imdb to see my credits or whatever you know it's like that's the way and and the weird thing is on imdb it'll say it has like kira is in this movie as herself you know yeah. <laughs> but but uh, you know for the most part that has its own 
you know, I have a reputation, if you will, in that arena, totally separate from whatever weird ass reputation I have as a bass player, mostly, gosh, mostly in my room these days, you know, for years and years. So, you know, I don't expect any kind of name recognition or whatever. I'm more notorious than famous. <laughs> yeah, but it's, then it's also like, okay, as you mentioned, you know, the, the, the stuff you've had in your, in your audio career, it's weighty stuff. Like even if, you know, take the awards aside, like it's cool stuff to work at. I mean, whether they I've been really lucky. I I have been really lucky, and I I um sometimes have to pinch myself because yeah. it's not an easy uh, career to choose. I would never recommend it to someone, especially nowadays. The teams are very small. The competition is is pretty stiff, and it's and it's kind of who you know, and it's yeah. kind of having a reputation and stuff. So it's really tricky to tell someone how to become a sound editor because the answer is I don't know (laughs) (laughs) you've got to somehow meet someone who then sort of recommends you and then you know and then you meet such and such and they heard you did this and this and you know it's tricky stuff and somewhat true with being a bass player it's not like anybody was beating down my door after black flag trying to hire me as a bass player is probably part of why i became a computer programmer you know i wasn't i wasn't i was known but not necessarily you know hireable (laughs) no one no one asked me to join their bands let me put it that way which yeah which is well that that's that's on them. They, they, they should have. But uh, but by the same token, like it, it worked out that you were able to develop this whole next couple of chapters for yourself that led to all this great stuff. And it is, you know, it is so much who you know and, and just doing the work, too. Just doing the work and, like, being, you know, maybe. Yeah, but put your head down, you know, start your own band, as Mike would say. You know, yeah. do it, do it, um, do it organically from you know, from your soul and, and it'll probably work out. It won't necessarily work out how you plan it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it'll, it'll, it'll work out <laughs> one way or the other. It's going to work out whether it worked out how you planned it or not. Right. And be willing to have a plan B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you, you, do you feel like, um, well, did they, I should put it this way. Did, did, did either camp hit you up for doing the, doing black flag stuff? Cause it kind of, kind of seems like that, happened very uh zero to 60 uh on on, on both sides you know greg coming out with black Um, flag again not not flag or black flag there was one time there was something being put together that was almost going to be like a retro it was pre-flag it 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 was sort of was uh, that the west memphis three thing was that no because that i did i did go and sing on that yeah i was gonna say i thought you were (laughs) this was at the civic or something they were gonna have they were gonna have a uh, i think it was something to do with like a golden voice reunion who was a promoter at the time right and and so they were gonna do uh this whole set of black flag songs and they asked if i wanted to come for a set of the continuum you know chuck was gonna play and bill was gonna play and you know and so there was talk of that and and that was assuming henry was gonna play and i think when henry wasn't going to do it they turned it into someone something different and i had expressed a willingness 
Um, although I don't know if I could do it, frankly, with my hands. Yeah, it's so physical. <laughs> I mean, it's like... I mean, you know, I had to do it one time. There's this... Um, there's this germs movie. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, there was a germs. There was a couple. But anyway, there was a germs movie. And Pat was a uh, a uh, sort of advisor on this movie. And he uh, and at one point they go and Black Flag is playing. And yeah. so they were going to record this. These young kids doing a Black Flag song. And at the last minute, I guess the bass player something happen a family tragedy or something and he calls me up and he says i need you to come record police story with these guys you know and i was like "Uh, can i have a week you know no it's just saturday you just gotta come and do this and because it was pat and i i can't say no to him he's yeah he's gotten me more than once and um but i i couldn't really do i mean i shouldn't say i couldn't do it i did it but um, I told him never to solo the bass. <laughs> but, but what we did, but I, what I did go through with these kids was I went through a little bit of an exercise of how to play the song the way, you know, I sort of put my Greg hat on and said, yeah. okay, so what we would do here is we would slow it way down yeah. and learn to and play the song really heavily and then start to speed, speed it up, up because sure. the yeah. trick with it, we always said was that you had to hit every single note hard. And, and if you go, if you let speed be the primary force, you tend to play very lightly. And so, so you have to bring it back and play it really hard and slow and really digging into it and then allow the speed to occur. So we, so I did go through that exercise with them to try to help them, um, play it in a little bit more of a of a true uh black flag fashion and and then i told him to never solo the bass because my hand would stop once we started playing fast like by the third verse i was barely hanging on you know it's just yeah i'm not that strong anymore well you're not doing it every day too i mean i have a job you know i don't play five hours a day like uh i did um back then um and I have a, a smaller, lighter bass, and that helps. But uh, but the right hand, you know, dumb me. I'm left-handed. I thought this was the hard part. I was like, cool, my left hand. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then I started playing with a drummer, and I found out this was the hard yeah, part. Yeah. By the time I figured that out, this hand was trashed. I couldn't have switched if I wanted to. Um, so, you know, so play left-handed if you're left-handed kids. Isn't that, isn't that hilarious that when like you don't when you don't play you think all the actions over here because that's what you see and it's like no it's all it's all gonna be in the hand that's picking it's good the heart the, there's a reason why right-handers use their right hand um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. uh since since you mentioned Pat's name I just watched that uh, McCartney thing on Hulu uh, which is great and it, it then just that just kind of rang a bell in back on mind that how amazing is it that he he played Pat Smear played a song with Paul McCartney. Like how how wild is that 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 happened in reality? That wasn't like a fever dream. That actually happened. The whole thing, you know, with Pat is is pretty incredible. Um, I mean, that's not all he did, but I just saw McCartney. Tragic, so. and it's yeah. tragic in many ways and incredible. Um, and he's such a sweet guy. You know, it's just um, I don't know. You know, just recently <laughs> Dave Grohl put together that touring. Yeah 
what drives us uh, documentary. And he had me for some reason. That's right. <laughs> I, I saw that. I forgot me. about that. Yeah. And, uh, and, but I loved Pat's thing on it because it was like, you know, he had never toured and like his first tour, you know. Yeah, what's his first tour? Like, ugh. He's on in Nirvana, <laughs> right? You know, and, anyway. Bit of an outsized experience, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy and, and but but wonderful that uh, that Pat gets to do what Pat does best. Were you ever much of a gearhead when it comes time to bases? Like, did you have a... a any specific instances where you were like, Oh, it's gotta be this kind. Or I like, I favor this kind more than others. No, you know, I started on a Rickenbacker because literally uh, somebody lent me one when I first said I was going to play bass <laughs> for my brother's prog rock band. They had like a manager dude who had a Rickenbacker laying around cause he was a gearhead and he said I could borrow it. Um, and then uh, after playing it for a little bit, what I realized was that the, the neck is a little thinner than yeah. the fender, which is a little fatter. And for my hand, uh, my smallish hands, um, that seemed like a plus. So I uh, I stuck with that for a, a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> I just recently have, uh, in the last like eight, 10 years, uh, Mike started playing three quarter scale uh, basses and re he recommended that I do that too. I, we did this uh, short, toured in Canada with it with these jazz festivals and my pinky started sort of failing me <laughs> playing a few days in a row and he uh and that was when he was like well you should be playing a smaller bass you know yeah. so still so sounds got, sounds the same got, it's just got more space for got, the little hands you know <laughs> so he got me my first uh, my electric blue uh gars bass which I love and um and it's pretty much, it's a Rickenbacker, but Mike decided that the tuning pegs should all be on one side. So it's got a Telecaster headstock. <laughs> yeah. Was that, a, so that's the one, um, that got, it got stolen, right? Yes, it did. It got stolen. Um, along with a bunch of other stuff, which is part of that story too. Uh, yeah. My house was broken into and a bunch of stuff was stolen, including, uh, that base. And, um, the person who stole it, uh, I, I was a basket case. I was not in very good shape, but I had a friend at Universal uh, who was also a mixer on, one, on a movie we were working on. And he said, <clears throat> he said, give me a picture of it. And I gave him a picture of it. And he gave it to the head of security at Universal, who was a former cop. Oh, wow. And he okay. knew what to do, you know, and he got it to guitar centers and he got it out. And, and this person <coughs> showed up at a guitar center with it and the guy recognized it he's funny he he had been working in sherman oaks and just happened to be in northridge transferred to northridge this particular day the guy walks in <laughs> he recognizes the base and says i have to get take a picture of your driver's license which is a tr typical thing to do yeah. when you're selling gear the guy took off and left the base <laughs> And I get this call saying, uh, so did you find your base? And I'm like, no. And he said, well, I think you should go to the Northridge police station. And I go to the Northridge police station and, and um, told them, I, I, you know, that I heard they had my base and the guy brought it out and I Ugh. started weeping openly. Ugh. And he said, you know, I usually look for some kind of like proof that it's the person's guitar, but yeah. it's obviously your guitar. <laughs> 
Well, and it's so it's so like it's unmistakable. You know, it's it's it's, my, it's first of all, it's my favorite it's color. One of, of blue. It's a one of a kind, absolutely. Yeah. And and the guy was sort of foolish to uh, to take it to somewhere like that. If he had taken it to a pawn shop, he might have had better luck. But um, but that's also why it meant so much to me. Course, I mean, yeah. at, at the time, I literally started had the guy start making another one because yeah. I can't couldn't imagine being without it. So I, I now have a blonde one. Um, and they sound nothing alike. I mean, they, they, it's a wonderful bass. It doesn't yeah. sound as good as the blue one. And and he, he, neither of us could tell you why. That's just the way right. the guitars are, yeah, right? Yeah. They all sound different. It, it sounds great in its own right, but it doesn't sound like that one. Yeah. So, uh, so it would have been a, an incredible loss. So 10 days. And it's so incredible because, you know, how many, how many stories don't end like that? Right. How many stories like end with just like, and it was gone for forever. You know, Look, so I, I've had bases stolen before yeah. that I never got back. I've had bicycles, cars. I've had, you know, you live in LA, you've had shit stolen from you. So right, exactly. it's, um, a, it's a right of passage. So it was, a, it was never expected, which is why I was basically, you know, curled up in a ball about it because I, and people were like, well, you need to go to, pawn jobs and stuff and i couldn't bring myself oh. to actually search yeah. because it seemed so hopeless yeah it, it, it's like uh oh hey you need to sift through every grain of sand on the beach right now while yeah. you're like upset about something uh okay i'm not gonna be able to do that i'm sorry no it's it's yeah i, I mean i remember when that happened that was, that was a big deal that was something where it's like it's it, you know I, the only thing i can think of uh, john reese had his one of his guitars stolen and they, they were able to recover it and that's a whole separate story but it just so happens so rarely and as someone who has also experienced gear theft you know i was like i was stoked for you i was like yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome for once the good for guys once, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh i i want to be mindful of your time but i want to i want to talk a little bit about your hero record like is it so it's actually are you putting it out under is it your own name, like that it's under? Yes, or? the record is called Cura, and it is on Kitten Robot Records, and uh, it, it is complete, and the layout is complete, and the next step seems to be press and a video. Right. So uh, the video is not complete; it is still uh, a concept, a piece. Um, so uh, it's really. It's my first solo record. I'm I'm 60 years old and I'm putting out my first solo awesome. record and it's uh it's definitely a labor of love. <laughs> well, I'm 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 Why is that funny? It's no, no, it's, it's it's uh <laughs> I, I'm laughing because it's so on on the point. It's a it's a labor of love. I love that you're putting out your your first solo record at 60. You should. I get pissed at people when they like stop when they when they don't play. At least talented people. Or, or I should well, say, I don't. Pissed, I look. But... I never was going to stop. It was just a matter of that. It never felt that important to yeah. put it in front of other people because inevitably, then you get critics. Like especially, yeah. you can't. You're not going to believe it. I mean, come on, Kira from Black Flag. This shit doesn't sound anything like that. It's weird ass yeah. music. What is she doing? You know, there's. It's not going to be received necessarily in the way that a new artist would be. Right. perceived generating the same material if that were possible but i'm not sure anyone's music is quite this weird but we'll see i'd be very curious i'm okay now i've i got to a point which is why i decided to play it put it out where 
it, it's not, it's okay, whatever people feel about it. For a long time, I was like, I don't care people, what people feel about it, and therefore, I don't want to put it out. And now yeah. I'm like, I don't care what people feel about it, but I'll put it out. Well, yeah, and I think that's that's great. I mean, I'm I'm excited to hear it. I'm excited to see what you what you, what you what you've come up with. And I'm I'm you know, it's gonna be what. Uh, so is it gonna be like what fall at this point, or like when's the? Do you know? Yes, yeah, it's talk about uh, it, they're talking last week of August or first week of September. So it's it's like I said, it's done. We're just uh, now. Uh, they have a couple of releases coming out. We're just we're working on a press release, so it's it is pretty much imminent. You know, yeah. a, a month, a little month plus. So what do you end up doing for the artwork? Because you were you were talking, you know, way earlier on. We were talking about like you know that. Oh yeah, we got to think about the artwork, right? So well, I had you know it, what I learned about visual art so far in my infancy is that it's very much like like writing a song you get you get this little tiny sliver of of a of an idea or like i want to do this and then you have to sort of grab onto it and then like try to expand on it and then you have to observe something hey i really like how that is what if and you have to push it you know sort of further on so it uh it came about uh, a combination of like literally um flashes you get in your head about like like I had this idea of myself with my hair blue um and my head down that that was it that was my you know my first you know interesting idea and you know and then I did a photo shoot you know and I had my blue hair and I had my blue base and I you know and and it's so it's and I'm kind of wearing blue clothes and so it's very blue my favorite color, so it's um, okay by me. So, <laughs> and it fits with the with the theme yeah. of the record, which is about love and loss. And um, so, you know, I just learned about the idea of having to um, take those grains. It's the same as I would do with a song. I would I, I would say a phrase, and I would like that, or I would see a word, and I would think of it in a weird context you know I, I had this post-it on my kitchen counter at one time that said peas and and I was walked in there and it was breakfast time and I said well I don't want peas for breakfast and that turned peas into a song breakfast. There you you know? go. <laughs> it, it's just um that I hadn't um done it in a yeah. way that was visual, but but it turns out to be very much a similar exercise. Now with video, I don't know because I don't know what's possible and, the, and how expensive it is. You know, it's easy for me to come up with ideas, but the reality of putting together some of these things in my head might be, well, that's not feasible yeah, <laughs> in the yeah. real world. But this uh, this thing came together beautifully and, and it turned out that my basic concept as it started to form and actually the bruce stuff who's a part of kitten robot sent me an email about some things and that triggered some ideas and so he had a part of germinating some of the ideas and then um and then blue uh, had some effect on it all and you know so you so, so you just uh i just took and kept grabbing on to uh the things that made sense are you a note taker? Like, do you do you take like a lot of notes when you have like ideas or like phrases or things along those lines? I have. Um, I mean, I have a, a lyrics in progress 
quote unquote notebook, but it's really just, I'll take a, a, I throw a scrap. If I, if I write something and it's a scrap of paper, I'll put it there. Like it's a place to put things. I am a scribbler of lists and notes and work things and whatever. So yes, I I do. I I forget things. So yes, if if it needs, if it needs remembering, I'd better write it down. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, the cool thing about music though, is I've got pro tools. And if I have a base idea, I can just, you know, noodle around and lay it down and then come back to it. And that, you know, that was very early on. I mean, the early days of dose and stuff, it was a four track cassette and, and it's the same thing. You got to have a mechanism by which to lay down ideas for remembering it, but also for working on it and expanding on it. Um, I had a base student uh, over the COVID quarantine time and, and he got himself a set up with GarageBand and recording so that he could, you know, expand his ideas. And, and, and we worked a lot on just how to get from here to, to an actual idea. And it's, I'm not someone who can do it without the tool to uh, play it back for myself and, yeah. and edit myself and and expand on it. Well, and it's there's there's something about getting it just getting it down and out of your head while it's still fresh too before it is inevitably, uh, you know, countermanded or. <laughs> decayed or, or changed or forgotten <laughs> exactly you, you get it down yes. you get it down and then- well yes i mean i i work when i'm working it's like 10 hour days you know so so and the amount of time i get to spend on the music might be a half hour or 45 minutes before work or something so i have to you know be able to do some work put it aside do some work put it aside put, pick it back up work on it put it aside and that's what i've been doing for 30 years you know and and a few records came out of it mostly it's just you know, a bunch of ideas. Do you find that uh, the, the the form follows the function uh, with writing? Meaning that, like the if you if you get like you know something that's like a cool part, and that kind of informs like the rest of the song being created, or is it more like you have a grand overarching master plan, and you kind of figure out where everything fits in? Yeah, and a lot of times it's just like you're saying, you know, is it something that I, I noodle on the bass quite a bit, just noodling, and then like something seems more interesting than the other noodling, so then it's something I want to remember, and then, um, and sometimes it's 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 more of a thought, which then results in me writing down some stuff, and like I said, I have a place where I put that, maybe I go back to it, or it's a it's a person. I, I lost a person, a work person. And, and I, um, I couldn't really communicate very well about how I was feeling about it. It was a complicated, uh, relationship and a complicated set of feelings. So write about it. Right. And so it's a combination of maybe strong, uh, feelings or ideas or emotions. Um, and then, me doing what I do, which is use the bass to and the voice on occasion to express the the complicated or or just the feeling that I want to get out or the person that I I want to admire or or the dog I I love or something, you know it all it all um, everything is after all you know art if you see it a certain way you know so that was the the 
cool thing about the visual thing is what I realize is that it's it's so much the same. It's just any little tiny, you know, seed can be watered and turned into something, you know, cool. Yeah. It's just, um, it, it's, it's an open-mindedness and a, uh, a willingness to be silly about it in a way, you know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of tongue in cheek goes into it too, you know, because life is very strange and, and, <laughs> unexpected and uh, and you have to you kind of grab onto those unexpected weird ideas and and push on them a little and see what happens absolutely well i'm i'm super pumped to check out this record i'm very very excited to see what what you come up with and uh i, I hope that it ain't, it ain't far now <laughs> well whenever whenever it does happen I, I hope that we can talk again because this has been a delight and I really I appreciate you taking you. the time. Uh, the last thing, Kira, I ask everyone that comes on the show, it's the only can question that I have. Uh, and it's you can choose to interpret it however you like, but why do you do what you do? It's all by accident. I just fell into it. You know, I'm a bass player because my brother had this prog rock band that needed a bass player. I'm a sound editor because I was tired of, tired of working in the corporate world and... I met this guy who was doing sound and a student film and and I begged him to hire me and his and his little company, you know, I, I, it's all kind of by accident and uh, and knowing myself well enough to know this suits me, this I like, this I don't like and and pushing in the direction of the things I like and and pushing away from the things that I don't like. So, um, yeah, kind of accidental and, and in a, in a good way though, you know, the, the positive accidental things that happen in life, uh, are how some of the best things happen. So being open and willing to, um, explore when something falls in your lap or, or on your head or whatever, you know. The happiest accidents for sure, if they are accidents, so... <laughs> yes and, and and if they're if you don't like them then you walk away from them you know that's what's cool is you pick the accidents that are that work and you leave the rest kira thank you so much it's been a pleasure thank you for coming thank you take good care of yourself now and you as well all right thanks oh there she goes kira rossler wow awesome uh let's hear a couple tunes
stream of San Pedro. A little band called Dos. Dos. That's Kira Watt. Two bases. All badassery. Before that, we have Best One Yet and Black Coffee. Both of which are from a little part of musical history known as Black Flag. Perhaps you are familiar with them. Awesome. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I had a great time doing it. And uh, what a rad artist, musician, lady, etc. All those things are true. Kira Russell's got a new record coming out. So be on the lookout for that. I know I am. Name of the show is Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal. It happens Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific, RadioNope.com. Always broadcast live. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. ProtonicReversal.com for the archives. Always free. This is my farewell transmission. Wherever your finer podcasts are downloaded. Signing off. If you like the show. Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. And want to get episodes sooner? One dollar a month. Patreon.com. Slash Protonic Reversal. Accomplish that goal. And help support the show. I've got 50,000 watts of power. Thanks to everyone who spreads the show around. You know, leaves a nice review. Like, subscribes on uh, podcast apps, YouTube, all that stuff. It all helps. It all helps. And thank you for listening. I appreciate that as well. This microphone turns sound into electricity. Stay safe out there. Can you hear me now? And take it easy. Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. Got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day, See?